I'm going to start this sermon with an apology, which is simply that we had announced, I had announced last week that we're going to be beginning a series this morning on the Sermon on the Mount. We're tremendously excited about it. But decided earlier this week, we wanted to take a little more time to try to get everything together in terms of coordinating services and other things around the theme. So we're waiting till the beginning of February. The theme of the series is the upside down life. The life that Jesus presents to us in Matthew 5 through 7 is in many ways the antithesis. It is the turning upside down of the perspective of life that a sinful world offers us. And so we're going to look at that, and we're looking at it and excited. This morning, we're going to begin a two-part series on James chapter 1, which is where I invite you to turn with me this morning. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. The focus of the series is just listening to and living out truth. Listening to is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Next week, God willing, learning to live out that truth. Here's what we read in James 1, 19 to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It was one of the most successful advertising campaigns in history. The effectiveness of the television commercials caused this company's CEO, Robert Fulman, to take this large brokerage house and build a 29-story executive headquarters in downtown Manhattan. It was this particular campaign that presented in its TV commercials scenes like this. You would be in a busy, uh, active, dishes clattering, fancy restaurant. You could hear the forks and knives. You could hear people talking And all of a sudden, somebody at one table would turn to their partner and said, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and he says, and everything goes silence. You remember it, some of you. Goes stone silence, and the idea was everybody wanted to hear what E.F. Hutton had to say. And the marketing voice would then come on at the end, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Now, I don't know where you stand on E.F. Hutton, but I think you've got to say the advertising campaign was fantastic. Don Maxwell, in his book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, calls law number five the E.F. Hutton law. And the law is simply saying that if you want to really find out the movers and shakers, the power brokers, the the influencers in a room, you don't look for the person that is in charge, necessarily. You look for the person that when that Man or woman speaks. Everybody just sort of tilts their heads a little more. They lean over a little more. That You realize, even if the individual doesn't say much, when they talk, everybody is hanging on everybody. He says, that's the influencer in the room. Now, some of you do that naturally who are born leaders. You just naturally smell out the power in a room. 
But his principle, we all recognize that there are individuals whose voice just carries tremendous significance. What about when God speaks? Are we leaning forward to hear it? Are we we saying, this is the voice I need? When when God is speaking, that's what I need to listen to. Well, in James chapter 1, these verses are talking about God speaking. And they are saying, this is how you listen. And secondly, this is then how you respond and live out what he says. The primary way he's going to talk to us in these verses about God speaking through his word. It's why in verses 20, 20, excuse me, 19 to 25, three times he talks about the word, the scriptures. It's what he's talking about. So what are we to do when God speaks his truth? Well, let's look today how we are to listen. And here's what he says, for a number of things I'm going to highlight this morning. First thing is just, and I'm going to do it by way of questions. First of all, who is it that listens to God's word? Who is a God listener? And he associates this passage with the opening statement. <clears throat> he says, know this, my beloved brothers, or my dear brothers. He is, he is doing this continually in the book of James, which was the earliest book written in the New Testament. It was written for the believers that had just recently come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and had associated themselves with him. And James, the physical brother, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing this letter to the, to the Christians at large. And in it, he is identifying those preeminently who are God listeners. And I I feel it important just at the beginning of this short sermon this morning to highlight this, that there is an assumption here, if we're going to talk about really being God listeners, that we have also become God's children. That we have entered, as he says, my brother's that we have entered the family of God, that we have personally embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We said yes to Christ in a a volitional, conscious reality. We saw, I need God's forgiveness, which Jesus Christ came to give. I need Christ as, as the Lord of my life, which he came to be offering himself to be. I have embraced the the gospel. I've been born again into the family of God. That's who he's talking to here. And to really hear God's voice In this book, and in all of the books of the Scripture, you really need to be one of God's kids, because it is to them that this is preeminently addressed. The beauty is that anyone can become a part of his family by personally embracing Christ as Savior. 1 Corinthians talks about this. He says, the man without the Spirit, another way of saying the man who has not been born again, who has not had the life of Christ in him, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The second question I want to ask simply is, where is this truth found? And in verse 21, he talks about the implanted word, this word that has been placed within you. Now, God does use some unique and special ways to communicate to his his children. We have read about remarkable happenings all over the Middle East and uh, at some cases less, I've heard less stories of primitive cultures where God has actually used dreams to speak truth into people and countless illustrations of people of Islamic backgrounds and and in atheistic cultures where, 
where missionaries have come or someone's come with the message of Christ and they say, I know him, I've seen him. They didn't know him, but, but God, they, they knew of him. There was a prepare, pre- preparatory work. God had spoken in a unique way to them to prepare them to hear the message of Christ. He speaks into our lives personally with the Holy Spirit. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you know that God does give little nudges along the way. His Spirit does prompt us and lead us. He, in this sense, He does speak to us. Colossians 3 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, since as members of one body are called to peace. What's He talking about? Well, it, it literally means the word uh, rule is the word be the umpire. Let God's peace the peace that the Spirit gives about this decision, uh, let that be a, an, an umpire in your life. Let that prompt you and lead you. God, God speaks to us, if you will, in that way. My wife grew up, and early on, she was a Jesus follower, in contrast to many of us, it was years later. But when she was a, a young girl, she had given her life to the Lord, and uh, uh, she was with a cousin, Steve, who, who also is a believer, but at the time was, well, his personality leads towards questioning. And they were together one time, and my wife leaned over or was said to him, they were talking together, and Marianne said, Jesus speaks to me. To which Steve replied, no, he doesn't. She says, yes, he does. Jesus speaks to me. So he looked around and he said, I don't believe it. Jesus? Jesus? He said, I don't hear anything. What? Usually, he doesn't speak audibly. Even the nudges are, are more internal. They are the prompting. It's the, the peace of the Spirit from within. But the primary way that he speaks is through his word. His normal way is speaking through what he is talking about as the word planted in us. In other words, the word took root as a seed in our lives. It's where we started in our faith. 1 Peter 1 says it this way, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. It's, it's a seed in your life. It's planted. But he says if you want it to grow, keep feeding with the scripture. Keep growing this new life that has taken place in your life. It is the Word of God that created the growth, created the birth, created, it was the seed, and it continues to need to grow. Now, we are to do certain things in response to that, and that's where I want to focus for the remainder of my time. In verses 19 to 21, he talks about how we are to listen to God's truth. And he says, first of all, you've got to be quick to hear. You look for opportunities to hear, that there is an intentionality in listening to God and letting him speak into your life, that there is a desire to personally make time to be with the Lord. The Bible is referred to as the milk for the infant or the new believer, And it is described as the meat or literally solid food for the growing believer. But the one commonality between milk and solid food is it's all food. It's all what is needed at that particular time in our life. Whether you're an infant and and you can't eat steaks yet, you get milk. But as you grow along, just as in physical life and spiritual life, you grow. You you get more. you, you, You mature through that. 
that there is food at every stage of the spiritual journey, and the food is the Scripture. This past week, Pastor Mike was at a seminary course. Actually, he was doing it online because they're meeting remotely right now. And he was challenged by the professor. I don't know if it was in the little class or it was, was offline individually. But the guy challenged Mike with a challenge that has actually really taken root with many of us that I want to pass on to you. The challenge to Mike was to take the Gospel of John and write it out, handwritten, you know, with a pen. You may not remember how to do that. But to write it out every day, take 10, day, 10 verses a day and just write out the Scripture. Write out the Gospel of John, and if you do it every day, and it starts tomorrow, every day until Easter, you will conclude the Gospel of John right at Easter Sunday. And Mike then... Typically, if he was going to do work, Mike wanted to share the wealth, so he appealed to all of us on staff, do you want to join me on this? He threw it on his Facebook, a number of you have, have joined. I'm sharing that with you as well. I invite you to join us. There were three things that appealed, different things appealed to us. Number one, some of us it struck just as a very meaningful exercise. I know for me, I'm a visual learner, and I know when I'm listening to somebody preach or I'm in a class... I don't remember a thing they say until I write it down. If you're a, if, if you're a visual learner rather than a verbal learner, an oral learner, uh, you're probably like me. Writing it out helps me to interact with it, to process with it. And it struck me as, I, I, I love this idea. I've never actually done this written my way through a book of Scripture, but I'm really looking forward to it. Some it hit too just because it was novel. Well, the, the Word of God tells us that it is living but our reading can get really stale, right? If we're doing the same way, the same thing, well, you change up, you, you approach. This is possibly an approach that God would prompt you to do as a way of invoking this passage which says, be quick to listen. And it's primarily talking about in the Scripture. And the third thing I think that affected some of us was just the thought of, this is going to be a fantastic way to prepare me for Easter celebration this year. I am going to be walking through the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus all the way up to the resurrection, and I'm going to be doing it every single day. And if you want to be a part, you can go to Mike's Facebook. You can indicate you want to be a part. You can check in at the, what did I, care? I forget what we call it, hub. Thank you. The hub. You can just, uh, online, you can just let somebody know in the office, just take a, do a quick Memo to the church office on our website, and we'll get you involved in that. But the bottom line, I'm just trying to say, if, if we are quick to listen, we are looking for opportunities to hear. We also are teachable when you do hear. I grew up in a church where there's a pastor. I was over in Cherry Hill, Bethel Baptist. Um, I actually, we moved down to high school, and I was there. Dr. Carl Gina was the pastor. And I'll never forget him saying this. Um, he was talking about sermons he had heard, and he had heard a lot of them over the years. And I remember him making the statement, and he said, I have never heard a sermon where I didn't get something out of it for my own life. And then with a twinkle in his eye, and if you know him, you could, figure, you could imagine this, the twinkle in his eye, he said, I've had some close calls. <laughs> well, we get it. 
But the idea was he said, I'm always in learner mode. I'm, only, I'm coming to Scripture saying, God, feed me. This is my food. We come teachable to hear the Word of God. It's not a road exercise. And if your Scripture reading or your devotions is, is maybe you need to switch up. Maybe, maybe you need to write out. Well, we come teachable. Third, we're not focused on what you'll say to others. Now, this is particularly those of us that are in ministries of, of handling the Word, teaching or instructing, or maybe your gifted encouragement you love. We don't come just to hear what I'll learn so I can tell others. One of the most meaningful things I ever read about preaching was written by a guy named Philip Brooks, The Art of Preaching. He wrote it back in the 1700s. And he said this, The child of God who is involved in any kind of ministry of the Word must not come to the Word just as a conduit. In other words, I get, what I, I, I get my information, I get my sermon, and I, and I come and I'm just a conduit to flow through. He said, no, it must be like a reservoir that we are our own lives are, are drinking in the Scripture so that what our preaching is is just an overflow of the reservoir like a waterfall. I love that analogy because quite honestly, when I'm falling behind in my own soul being fed and I'm trying to put sermons together, it's dry. It's draining, and I feel like all my energy went to study, and, and shoot, now it's gone. But, but I need more to live out of. We need a reservoir. We need to be spilling over in what we share with each other, but our hearts and lives are, are refreshed as a reservoir, as a repository of truth. We need to be listeners to truth. Second of all, we need to be slow to speak. As it is often pointed out, God gave us two ears, one mouth. We're called to listen more than to talk. Now that certainly has relevance in our marriages and our relationships, but James is not trying primarily to focus and make us good listeners in our marriages and relationships. It's a great principle, but the focus is on listening to God in these verses. We must be slow to speak if we are to listen well. You remember the passage where Peter's up there on the mountain, the transfiguration, and there he's seeing the glory of Christ. Only three men would ever see Christ glorified and revealed in his glory in his earthly life, like Peter, James, and John did on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's so pumped up because Moses shows up and, and Elijah shows up, and it's just this miraculous experience. And they're there to credit Christ and worship Christ. And so Peter comes up with this idea. He said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, I got ideas. I mean, I've, I've been waiting for an opportunity. I've got some great designs on it, you know, a simple tent that I can put up in tabernacle. And all of a sudden, this booming voice comes and says this. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud says, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He came into God's presence full of his own ideas and his own thoughts. Hey, we do that all the time, right? We come to pray, we come to listen to Scripture, we find ourselves so distracted, so much going on. So, so what do we do with that when, when your minds are, are so captive? Well, number one, that's why I believe the greatest time of day to get with the Lord is at the first thing in the morning. Don't start with the the Dow Jones 
TV shows. Don't start with, with stock advice. Don't start with sports radio. Don't start with God. Let him be the first voice. Let him fill your mind first. But some of us are still constantly agitated minds. So what do you do when you have these distractions? I've found the only way I can deal with the distractions that come to me when I'm trying to reflect on scriptures or I'm trying to pray. I just take those thoughts and I jot them down, right? And I make them apart. I say, Lord, in my prayer, I immediately bring that in. If I'm reading the scripture, I put them aside and I know I'm going to address them. I make them a part of it if I can't keep them out of it. I bring them apart as well. But, but listening means that we are slow to speak, that our own thoughts aren't what we are hearing loudest. We're putting those aside as we listen to the Lord, and then we are slow to anger. Now, there are two words for anger in the New Testament in the Greek. The first word is the word that is, uh, it, it actually, thumos, it is the word that refers to this, this explosive uh, anger, it is, is volcanic, is the idea. This is the blow-up kind of anger. We have terms for this kind of anger. Lose your temper, blow your cool, uh, somebody went off. What's well, a picture of a volcano? We get it. This is somebody that just popped their cork. This is, this is the, 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 the blow-up type of anger. This is the kind of anger that uh, gives other people ulcers. But there's another word for anger in the New Testament. It's the word orge. It is the word that talks about an internal anger. It's, it, it's pictured by this coil where, where anger just goes in and in and in and down and down. This is the kind of anger that gives you ulcers. It's what we associate with bitterness and resentment. It's the clam-up type of anger. Both are expressions of sinful anger. However, the unique thing is, and the word for clam-up anger is the one used in this passage, this word can also be used in a positive sense. But here's what he's saying. First of all, I'm going to come back to it. He uses this word, this, this word of internalized anger, and he says to us, be careful with it. Now, what was happening in the book of James is these early Christians were being terribly mistreated. They were the objects of, of serious injustice for their faith. Many of them were facing social ostracism. As we know, some of them were killed. And the response was there was a sense of anger. Now, the question could be asked, well, well well, isn't any anger, isn't there anger sometimes justified? I mean, isn't there a righteous anger? Yes, there is. And this word is the one that is used in the New Testament to talk about that righteous anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, it says this, Be angry and do not sin. In other words, you can be angry you can have this settled state, there is a righteous sense of anger, and not sin. He says, be angry and do not sin. So what happens to make this appropriate anger inappropriate and destructive? Well, he goes on to tell us in Ephesians 4, here's what he says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Here's what I think he's saying. 
He's saying, you can have this righteous anger. You can have this sense of, of this is not right and this is wrong. And, and I'm, I'm going I'm to stand against this. And, and it's absolutely appropriate. But he said, be very careful. Because that anger can take root. And that's why he says, you know, that's why many people take this passage and say in a marriage, don't go to bed angry. I, I think there's great wisdom in that. But the principle is basically this. Make sure that you don't hold on to that for too long and it doesn't become consuming to you. Why? Because you give opportunity to the devil in your experience. So what does all this have to do with James 1, Mark? Well, you can have a righteous anger, but it can start to consume you. It can start to completely take over. You can't let it go. Man, what's going on culturally? And you find yourself, I can't stay away from the internet. I can't stay. Man, I've got to watch another video. I've got to hit another website. I've got I to I get out there. I've got to post, and I've got to read the post, and I've got to fight to the post, and I've got to hear another one. And you say, what are you doing? They say, well, I'm, 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 I'm righteously angry. Well, maybe you were, but maybe you're not anymore. Maybe the way you're talking has morphed from righteous anger where you were letting God speak into you to now you are letting the devil direct you. That's exactly what Paul is warning about in Ephesians 4. He said, be angry. Good. Okay. But watch out that you not let the devil gain an opportunity with you. Righteous anger can become poisonous because the devil makes it poison. You may need to ask yourself the question in your passion to spread the message of righteousness. Are you an angry writer? There was one young woman I was talking to this week was talking about somebody else and she made a statement I had not heard. Many of you probably have who are more active in social media than I am. But, but she said, um, hmm, no, that person's an attacker. She was talking about another believer. But they're an attacker. I don't think you want to be known as an attacker. I don't think we want to be known as an attacker. Do we want to have righteous convictions? Do we want to at times feel an appropriate righteous indignation? Yes. It reminded me of years ago, I was watching a, a talk show. I, I don't even know how, I, I think I was home. and I, haven't, I, I, don't even, I don't remember what it was, but it was just a daytime deal, and there was a couple that was presenting, and this couple was talking um, they were representing their work in New York City, which they owned, it was either 10 or 12 abortion clinics. And they were presenting their work, and they had people come and come up to the microphone and ask them questions. And there was a significant representation of pro-life people. I'll say categorically, I am pro-life. Um, and would identify with where they were coming from in terms of position wholeheartedly. 
But when they got to the microphone, and it just grew more vociferous, it grew more, more um, attack mode, and it was, it was awful. And as they were talking, and, and finally there was one older woman that was just had lost her mind with anger. And she was attacking this woman. And, and I remember sitting there, and the owner of the abortion clinic made this statement. She said, um, where, where do I have it? This is going to be a Willie paraphrase because I didn't write down the quote. <laughs> Bottom line, she lost her marbles and the lady responded something like, wow, that really sounds like Jesus. And I sat there and thought, you're right, it doesn't. I can't imagine Jesus talking that way. I just can't imagine it. But I believe that woman knew Jesus. And I believe she was passionately burdened for unborn children. And I, but at that moment, in that place, on that medium opportunity, she was allowing the devil to have an opportunity in her heart. Anger had crossed the line. When you are that revved up, when you are that charged, you're going to have a hard time being a listener. You're going to have a hard time having a quiet spirit with Jesus. He is saying in James chapter 1, part of really being able to live quietly with Jesus is you know the place where you are able to say, I just have to pull back. I just, it's not helping me. It's, it's turning me into an angry, volatile person. I'm consumed with this. To the Lord, where you're giving room for God in your ear to probably giving opportunity for the devil in your heart. I'm saying that. I know that's heavy, but I think it's important. Because we want to have the Lord rule every part of our lives. We want to be listeners. We want to hear. And that involves specifically intentionally listening. It involves specifically not talking so much with our own thoughts and letting our own thoughts consume our thinking. It also involves not being consumed with anger. We want to be listeners to the and I want to invite you to join us as we scroll our way through the Gospel of John. Uh, all the pressures on Pastor Mike, he says he's going to keep us on track. Um, I'm delighted to have him in that role. And, but I invite you to join us. Marin and I are both doing it. We're excited to do it. You're welcome to join us as we, we journey through the Gospel of John, being listeners to truly celebrate the resurrection in days to come. Lord, Take these practical words. I hope they're practical words. Lord, thank you that you speak. In the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the volatility and the tension, which probably is going to be with us for a while culturally, we believe you call us to be people that stand with deep convictions for truth and righteousness. 
who are, all, who are most of all known as people who listen, who hear, who are shaped by the Spirit of God speaking quietly into our lives. And we're not attackers. Jesus didn't have to attack, but he spoke truth that was powerful to people. Lord, let us learn and let us grow and let us show Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.